So the other day I was sitting here just minding my own business and a, a bug flew into my car as I was parked and the window being cracked and it landed on my steering column. And then from there, that little fucker, I don't know, it looked like a stink bug, but it walked right into, like, it It kind of just decided to enter the labyrinthian abyss that is the inside of my dashboard. So now I got this fucker, he's setting up shop in there, and I'll never know when I'll see him again. Like, he doesn't even realize he's just moved from Elk Grove to Roseville, you dumb bitch. So on the cusp of reading Steve Martin's autobiography, which was really good and really uh, kind of scratches the surface and gives you a portrait of how to, well, it's not a how-to book, but like if you're a stand-up comedian, this was a really interesting uh, kind of evolution of how one particular stand-up comedian did it and worked his way up through the ranks because nowadays, like, you know, there's, like, several comedians that play arenas, like, you know, 10, 15, 20,000. Not very often, but enough to where it's... seems like it's kind of... uh, it seems like it's kind of not outrageous, right? Like, because we look at, like, Richard Pryor, we look at Eddie Murphy when they were doing big, huge specials, you know, Raw and Delirious, Live on the Sunset Strip, uh, stuff like that. But Steve, Steve Martin was, like, huge. Like, the fir- he was, like, the first arena comedian like where it was like well of course the reason he quit was like everything was so screwed like not scrutinized but like if he came out it was like like comedy is about you know as much about subtlety and like small kind of stuff in between timing and what isn't said sometimes and so the benefit of that is like playing small clubs working on you know like really honing your act to take it out to bigger venues but the bigger venues is like a you've got to adjust for that too like the wall of sound of applause of reactions and uh and he got to a point i where like every little gesture was like overwhelmingly just responded to and it wasn't like he he didn't feel like he was earning it you know it just he'd make one small move to the left or to the right or something that didn't they would just erupt and you know what you know what i mean they were blown away by nothing by so if you were to put all your efforts into this you know all this time and all this uh, work and uh, writing and 
practicing and shaping up an act only for it to be just kind of like anything you do is funny now it, it, it it's that would be a weird sphere to work in so so I um, I was so I saw on Mark Marin's show he had Chevy Chase he was I'm like oh god like Chevy Chase like do I want to listen to this because like Chevy Chase is really like I don't know the minutiae of his past uh, bouts with drugs and alcohol, but I know there was quite a bit. Um, I know he's a big coke. He was into coke. He drank a lot. Um, and he's got kind of that abrasive style, kind of personality, kind of hard to work with. The the, the rumor or the 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 read on him is like uh, he's difficult but this guy now he's kind of a different uh, he comes from a different world of the comedy arena right so he's the, he's the comedic actor which is a, there is a difference right like like I always find it odd or like I still find it odd that guys like Michael Richards from Seinfeld, you know, Kramer, that whole infamous, like, uh, stand-up routine that he was doing where he used the N-word and then, uh, kind of canceled him for a bit, and, uh, and now I see, like, Nick Offerman's got something going on at, like, Harrah's or some casino, and he's kind of a comedic actor, but he's not, I don't, does he do stand-up? Like, I think that's odd. Like, it just seems like it's odd. Like, I don't know. Maybe we assume, like, maybe these guys got start got their starts or cut their teeth on stand-up. But I don't think it's typically not the case. Like, Bill Murray never did stand-up. Chevy Chase never did stand-up. Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi. These guys were all actors. And uh, Steve Martin kind of evolved into comedic acting from a stand-up that seems more the more the regular transition is going from stand-up to comedic actor because back in the day you know these guys were all vying for uh, a show like to get a to get their own show or you hear the stories of like you know uh, Kevin James before he got King of Queens or uh, Ray Romano before he got Everybody Loves Raymond or Seinfeld. You know, these guys were all trying to get shows. They all wanted to be on a show. They all got a show. As if that was the end game. Now it's more... It's kind of like... The stand-up's kind of... They don't have to do that now. It's kind of its own thing. And there's a purity to that. And it's a different, it's a different muscle, I think. But Chevy Chase, man, he was something... Like, that dude was the motherfucker back in the late 70s, early 80s like that guy was huge he was to comedic acting what Steve Martin was to arenas and stand up in that same time period so it's no it's no uh, 
shocked that they would kind of converge, I guess, you know, three amigos, um, and stuff along those lines. But Chevy Chase was, it was hard to listen to because he is out of it. And I don't know, I mean, he's old, he's up there. He was older, I think he was older even when he did Saturday Night Live. And a lot of people don't understand, he only did, he only did Saturday Night Live for one season. Um, and the misnomer on that was, I think he was originally slated to just be a writer for the show. And, uh, you know, he's a good looking dude, tall, has a presence to him had a presence to him that uh, kind of commanded a uh, commanded attention so so it shouldn't be a shock that he was probably the most popular of the cast members in the first season which I don't think Belushi much cared I don't think John I don't think Belushi much cared for him and Belushi felt he was and, and Belushi was I mean comedically I think just as talented if not slightly more you know it's like comparing Montana to Tom Brady right like they're both great you know but they both shine for different reasons so but yeah listen to that like he was out like like drugs and alcohol they they took their toll on, on him and he he but he had such an ego that he still like was trying to be funny in the interview and it just you know credit to Mark Maron for kind of carrying it a little like he he'd make some s- s- silly gestures uh, during the interview that just didn't weren't gonna go anywhere but Maron kind of saved it and kind of like uh, made it okay made it less cringeworthy but just the, the, the laundry list of stuff that this guy did. Like, I mean, dude, fucking Caddyshack, classic. You know, um, Fletch, fucking classic. Vacation, classic. Uh, Christmas Vacation, people still will, will vehemently just rabidly watch that. Even though I don't, I don't think it quite holds up. But it's so you know what and you know what I find interesting too is like, you know him and Bill Murray had a big dust up. They weren't particularly fond of one another um, in the early days in the seventies. But Bill Murray's brother Brian Doyle Murray, who is credited with helping write uh, Caddyshack, he was in Caddyshack. It's based on one of their uh, I think the oldest Murray brother. I think it was John based on. His uh, loosely based on his exploits as a caddy, growing up in a Catholic family and stuff. But Brian Doyle Murray's been in like a bunch of fucking Chevy Chase movies. He was he played his boss Frank Shirley in Christmas Vacation. He played the guy running the shitty little campground in, in the first Vacation. Uh, what am I missing? It seems like I'm missing another one. Um, Oh, well, Catwell, and then Caddyshack, of course. He was the he he was he ran the Caddyshack and helped write it, write the movie. And these guys were all kind of you know, and the, the, this was that cluster, right? So if there was like a '90s group of dudes like the Judd Apatows that hung out with the uh, that were roommates with like the Adam Sandlers 
and hung out with the Ben Stillers and the Bob Odenkirks and these guys all came up through the ranks with Seth Rogen and Jason Siegel and all these guys well the group back then in the 70s the mid 70s would be Bill Murray, Chevy Chase, Steve Martin, Brian Doyle Murray, Harold Ramis, who directed Caddyshack, as well as um, directed like Groundhog Day, and was one of the ghost, but one of the Ghostbusters. Um, you know that was their group. Steve Martin, you know Steve Martin, and Bill Murray, two like legends. You know they were they worked together in a Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, as well as sketches on Saturday Night Live and stuff, but dude, Chevy Chase is just—he's—he's he's just this. He's kind of like on a Mount Rushmore of like comedic actors, right? So it'd be like Chevy Chase, Bill Murray, Steve Martin, um, maybe John Belushi. I mean, that was a short run. Belushi was brilliant, though. I mean, the, the impact that he had with Animal House, Blues Brothers. You know, Dan Aykroyd should be up there. Definitely Aykroyd. I mean, Jesus, Dan Aykroyd, come on. Blues Brothers, Ghostbusters. Um, you know, he was supposed to be, he was supposed to play D-Day in Animal House, but he turned it, I think he turned it down. Was, like, but these guys were a different breed, too. I mean, these guys were hardcore. Like, I was... Um, like the first time Steve Martin met Dan Aykroyd, he was he he said he ran into him at the Saturday Night Live studios, and Aykroyd said, uh, "Yeah, I was riding my bike all night until I ditched it, and then uh, I had to get a. <laughs> I don't know what happened to his bike, but he had to abandon his bike, and he, he hitched he had to hitch back into town, and then the dude like kicked him out of a moving car, uh, in the middle of the of hitching the ride, and he ended up on the street and then now he's back at work and so that was a night in the life of Dan Aykroyd like what the fuck like what okay but that's who these guys were like Bill Murray like he'd always be like wandering the halls of Saturday Night Live just sipping from a flask you know just looking to cause trouble he'd be in the commissary the cafeteria squeezing sandwiches between his hands in, a sh- in some kind of bizarre display of lunch you know just for random attention but uh yeah there was a difference um in the 70s comedic actors versus the 90s comedic actors versus the 90s stand-up guys the guys came up through the ranks and this you know because there's guys that like didn't i don't know i think that maybe wanted like film success but didn't necessarily acquire it for whatever reason you know it's kind of like that college quarterback that maybe won the Heisman or was really good but just couldn't couldn't make the transition to the NFL just for whatever reason couldn't put it together in the NFL you know like Matt Leiner or uh, or um, Jamarcus Russell or uh, the uh, the one uh, Vince Young from Texas you know these guys just couldn't put it together in the NFL right um, but like there's guys you know in 90s you know, huge 90s stand-up guys like uh, Louis C.K. and Joe Rogan and these guys that just, I don't know, just weren't film guys, just didn't get, just didn't, and then didn't care because they're huge, because they're huge in the realm of stand-up comedy. 
And like same with Mark Marin. Like he's in a bunch of these movies. You know, he's in like um, oh, what's that one uh, about uh, Cameron Crowe where he? It's based on his life as a his early days with Rolling Stone and stuff. You know what I'm talking about? It's got what's her name in it? Goldie Hawn's daughter. Um, you know, he's in that. He plays like a concert promoter. Uh, but he's not going to make... And he's been in a bunch of movies, but he's, just, he's not making that... He didn't make the leap. Nobody really... You know, he had he had, he had a show... Uh, what was that show? He had a series on IFC or something. But it just... You just... I think of Mark Maron's stand-up. He's strictly stand-up. He's a stand-up guy. And there's guys that just always be marked as stand-up. So to make the transition to a comedic actor is... Uh, it's rare these days. You know... I guess probably the maybe the one of the exceptions or a few of the exceptions say would be like uh, like Adam Sandler was a big stand-up guy, but not that big. Uh, Chris Rock kind of dabbles in both. You know, like Chris Rock's huge. He's huge as a stand-up, as a movie star, mm, not as much. But he's got some movies. They're all right. Eh. Grown ups, grown ups too. I mean, I don't know. Eh. David Spade. Eh. I mean, mid level, not huge. Not, not like Steve Martin. Huge. Like Steve Martin is is just a juggernaut compared to David. Spade. And David Spade, like he's really huge. He's he's huge in his own way, in his own small way, quite literally. But and he's funny. But like Joe Dirt isn't the jerk, right? Um, all the shitty little funky Netflix made for just Netflix type movies with Adam Sandler and, and David Spade are just kind of they're kind of but then uh, but then again you know Steve Martin made a lot of shit he just made some crap movies like I was thinking about that when I was reading his autobiography I'm like god damn there's some crap that he made like My Blue Heaven or Pennies from Heaven um and some stuff that was really out there, Man with Two Brains, um, with Kathleen Turner. Like, what a wild, strange movie. Uh, Roxanne doesn't hold up. Just garbage. Just garbage. Uh, Parenthood, boring as hell. But that's Ron Howard. Ron Howard's movies were like watching paint dry, right? After Night Shift, forget it. it fucking sucked. Uh, but then again, there's like Michael Keaton. He started in stand-up, Right? So it's, it's fun. It's it's interesting the bridge between stand up and comedic acting, but you could never see you could never picture Bill Murray doing stand up or Chevy Chase doing stand up. But dude, Chevy Chase though, so what? He's like a burnout. He's like a burnout now, but just legendary. Like he was in Steely Dan. He was their first drummer. Like what the fuck? But he had no rec. I mean, he had very little recollection of those days. It's just so many drugs and so much partying and just so much arrogance and ego but it's um god it was such a wild time like but yeah listen to that interview with Chevy Chase was kind of brutal kind of it's hard like cause knowing what I know of who Chevy Chase is, like he's still a brilliant. He was he was a brilliant 
brilliant comedic act. I mean, just fucking brilliant. You know, it seems like old times, foul play. Uh, I think he did one with Benji, though. Uh, not a good... I mean, he did some bad movies. I mean, some notoriously... Cr- I mean, these guys like like Steve Martin and, and Chevy Chase, they, they, they did some awful. There's there's some times they just bad stuff. Like, I forgot about Deal of the Century. Mark Maron brought up Deal of the Century with Gregory Hines and Sigourney Weaver. Like, that's a movie that needs to be forgotten and destroyed. Um, nothing but Trouble nothing but garbage, uh, nothing but trouble with Dan Aykroyd and, um, was it Demi Moore? So bad, so bad, like, Dan Aykroyd, Dan Aykroyd's done some awful, just awful crap, just garbage, Dr. Detroit, um, Blues Brothers 2000 should never have been made, um, but, what, what are you gonna do, right, I mean, you can't see Dan Aykroyd doing stand-up, right, like, why, why, would, why would Michael Richards do stand-up? Like, there's no... Like, who talked him into that? Seinfeld? Who talked him into doing that shit? Like, that's not the... That's going... That's that's pushing yourself through the... the you know, it's, that's pushing the camel through the... The, you know, the eye of the needle, right? Like, it's... You're going the wrong way, bro. It's ain't, it ain't happening. Like, just be Michael Richards. Just be Kramer. Dude, just milk the fuck out of being Kramer. If you aren't already doing that. I mean, Jesus... Nobody wants to see your stand-up, dude. So, I don't know. Um, yeah, comedy f- just fascinates me. Just the the, 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 the maneuverings. Um, just the, the elements, the, the timing, the subtlety, the, the zen. You know, there's something else at work. There's something else. I mean, we all... all well, the end goal is all this... All, it's all the same to everybody to make you produce something from your diaphragm. This this gust of wind coming out of your diaphragm. This laugh, right? Um, you know, there's there's just there, I mean, you know, what's really not funny though is that fucking cartoon Family Circus. <laughs> but I digress. Fucking Family Circus. You remember? Did you? Ever, did you ever read the newspaper? Did you ever, did you ever look at the cartoon section? Is that a thing of the past? Like just the word. That's the most unfunny. Like if the funniest thing in the world to you is like, uh, you know, Chevy Chase and I mean Caddyshack was just brilliant. Um, parts of Vacation, um, the movie The Jerk. I mean, just brilliant. There's brilliant parts. The opposite of that is the cartoon strip Family Circus. And if you don't, if you're not familiar with this, look it up because you will hate yourself for looking at it. You will, you'll want to blind one of your eyes if you when you see this. It's the, it's so bad. It's so horrible. It's so horrible. If you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. But uh, a comedy is a unique thing. It's funny, and and not everybody can do it, right? Especially the guy that drew that cartoon, man. Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy, but, but again, so that's what I was, uh, I don't know, I was just, what I was dwelling on, it just seemed like a interesting confluence of events here to finish this Steve Martin autobiography and then see Chevy Chase being interviewed by Mark Maron and, you know, the different components of comedy and shit like that, but I'll leave you with this, 
Now, indulge me as I ponder over the top 250 greatest single-season NFL yardage by quarterbacks of all time. Enjoy. Dude, so I'm looking at this list here. Dude. The five, let's see, the NFL passing yards, single-season leaders. So, all-time passing yards leaders. So, number one is Peyton Manning at 54.77. Then it in the top five, you got Brady twice in the top five, okay? But just one yard behind Manning is Drew Brees. And then Patrick Mahomes is fourth. So that makes Brady third and fifth. But then Drew Brees pops up three more times. So out of eight, the, the top eight, Drew Brees has four of those slots. 9, 10, 11, 12. And then out of the top 12, Drew Brees has five spots. That's pretty strong. But what's interesting is the list itself. So so Manning, okay. So you got Brady in two of the top five slots. You got Drew Brees, four of the top eight. But Manning, being number one, doesn't reappear on the list until 41. He drops 40 spots. He goes from 54.77 to 47.27 in Denver. Both, both Both those yardage, seasonal yardages, yardages were in Denver. Even though, like, I had him I was. I remember his rookie year as a Colt when they were like th- they went three and thirteen, and he passed for like thirty eight hundred and eighty yards. I'm like, damn, for a rookie, that's really so strong, particularly on a three and thirteen team. But then I go up, and Patrick Mahomes, his rookie year, I s- believe it's a no, no, no. Mahomes has yeah his rookie year. He was twenty two. He threw for 5,097 yards, good for 11th on the all-time list. That was 2018. So that was the same year that he um, squared off Jared Goff when Goff was still a Ram, and they just it was like 53 to 51 or something like that. They both threw for like 500 yards, just insane shit. But um, so that's it's weird how he Manning. He's always been kind of a numbers guy, but he just goes from f- first and doesn't come back till forty first. But what I, the reason I was looking at this list, I I was trying to I was looking I was, I'm watching Monday Night Football and there's a Justin Herbert commercial. I'm thinking that motherfucker's probably thrown for five thousand yards too. Like it seems, it seems like everybody has now. Like bef- like Marino was the first one in. 84. Now that's good for only 12th. So that's just crazy, huh? But yeah, sure enough, Justin Herbert, 2021. 
when he was 23, he threw for 5,014 yards. That's just such a mind-blowing number, 5,000. Because, like, right up behind him is Matthew Stafford. Well, actually, Matthew Stafford is one in front and one behind Herbert. He's making a Justin Herbert sandwich with uh, 5,038 when he was when he was a Detroit Lion 2011 and then 2012 he threw 4967 that's pretty strong too man cuz those Lions teams are not very good but he also had uh Calvin Johnson so um Megatron so and then Roethlisberger pops up ninth all time 5129 so there was like a there's just like this huge from 2018 to like present, like just a slew of these numbers. I mean, Drew Brees was always throwing for 5,000 yards. 2012, 2013, 2016, um, 2008. Um, man, can't believe Chargers let him go. Jesus. I remember when he was a Charger. And. So who else is on Eli Manning, his best showing is 20th, 49-33 for 2011 New York Giants. And then after that, it's like everything's 49, 49, 48, 48. Deshaun Watson, 48-23. Like, that's insane. Like, Dan Fouts was, like, the guy in 1981. And he threw for 4,802 yards. And um, now that's only good for thirty third. Derek Carr's got he had a he had forty eight hundred and four yards in twenty twenty one. Like Derek Carr has more yardage single season than Dan Fouts. Man, just that's just progress, though. You know, like everything's moving. Everything's static, or not static. It's unstable it's got to keep moving it's got to keep evolving and this is no different so crazy what a wild list jared goff is 40 he only jared goff only threw for 4688 yards that same year 2018 that mahomes threw for 5000 so crazy aaron rodgers wow Anyway, that's the list right there. Right there. Who's the best quarterback of all? Dan Marino. Get the fuck out of here, Joe Montana. Where's Joe Montana on this list? He's not even on this list. No sign. Where are you? Where are you? Number 71, Drew Bledsoe. His best year, 4,555. That's what got me into watching the Patriots. Because that was the same year he was squaring off with um, Dan Marino. They go head to head, throw for 400, 500 yards. Like that was a big, those are big numbers, 4,555 back in 94. Still no Joe Montana. Joe Burrow, 4,475 yards. Lynn Dickey makes the list. 1983, Packers. 4,458 yards. Damn, Lynn Dickey. 
No Joe Montana. No Joe Montana. Josh Allen, 4,407. Scott Mitchell, the 95 Detroit Lion quarterback, comes in at 113. With 4,338 yards, still no Joe Montana. Don Mikowski, another Green Bay flunky. 4,318 yards, 1989. I remember that guy. I remember my buddy Eric and his dad just always griping about it. What an incompetent fool he was. But, hey, he threw for 4,327 yards, or uh, 4,318. Still no Joe Montana. Crazy. One of the greatest of all time. Jeff Garcia comes in at 131, 2,000 uh, Niners, 4,278 yards. Carson Palmer coming at 132, right behind Jeff Garcia. Andy Dalton, 127. The, the Red Raider. The Red Rider, whatever they call him. 4,293 yards with the Bengals, 2013. Damn, Andy Dalton used to be somebody. Um, Still no Joe Montana. No Montana. That's the first Brett Favre sighting at 146. 4,212 yards. John Kitna coming in round... Just eclipsing the 150 mark at 149 with 4,200 yards, 2006 Detroit Lions, Ryan Tannehill, Vinny Testaverde. Wait, where'd he go? Did I, did I not see? I thought I saw Vinny Testaverde. Maybe I didn't. Why am I just. Yeah, I did somewhere. Where you go, man? No. That's weird. That's so weird. Steve Berline, what? What's going on? Oh, I'm going the wrong way. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a little high. Russell Wilson comes in at 145. 4219, 2016 Seahawks. There he is, Vinny Testaverde. Todd. For one fifty tied at one fifty five with Matt Ryan for forty one hundred and seventy seven yards with the Ravens. Whoa, ninety six Ravens, really? Elvis Gerback. Elvis Gerback threw for forty one hundred and sixty nine. What the fudge? Jeff George. Classic. Brian Sipe. What? 4,132 yards, 1980 Browns. No Joe Montana. Quite possibly the greatest quarterback, if not the best quarterback of all time. Joe Montana. Joe Cool. Notre Dame alumni. Even Joe Namath comes in at 213. With 4,007 yards, 67 Jets predicted a win, got one last time the Jets ever were happy. 
or Jets fans rather. Last time that was the last time any any Jets fans smiled. Oh yeah, there's Trent Green. That's the whole thing. I was talking about that theory, the Trent Green, Kurt Warner theory with um, Trey Lance and Brock Purdy of Niner fame. Trey Lance, he's going to go off. He's going to be the Trent Green of 2005 Kansas City Chiefs, right? Through, through for 4,014 yards. Matt Schaub's on here, 4,008 yards for the, with the Texans in 2012. Shit twice and fall back in it. Still no Joe Montana. Crazy. Mark Bolger makes the list. Steve Young. Matt Hasselbeck. Next you'll be telling me what's his name's. Trent Dilfer is going to... Oh, there he is. Joe Montana comes to... Wow. At 240, Joe Montana. Probably the greatest quarterback of all time. Well, Brady is. But Montana's the best, too. 3,944 yards. 1990. 49ers. Good for only 240. Dang. He's only got one spot. Joe Montana's only got one spot. Out of 250 spots, he's got one. Whoa. That's insane.